Welcome to episode 134 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the Milwaukee Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Topp, and I'm joined today, as usual, by Paul Noonan, Brad Ford, and we have a special guest this week in place of James, who's who's very busy right now covering things. He is the fantasy editor at Baseball Prospectus. He is the host of the Tino podcast, and I think you used to do something else too, JP. Is that right? About one or two things. Yeah. A few other things yeah. in your life? Yeah. Not, nothing, nothing commendable, but I've done a few other things in my life. <laughs> so how's it going, JP? How you been? Good, man. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. We uh, we talked about having you on last week, but you told me that you'd never been to an opening day. So we kind of pushed that off, and it ended up that it worked out for this week because we got a question in last week that we're kind of going to build this whole episode around that uh, I think is a little bit more, I think you're going to have a lot more to say about it, right? I mean, I don't know. I can make something up with, with anything. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Oh, so how is everybody holding up? How are things going these days? Paul? Oh, you know... Uh, Peaks and valleys, it's all good. Play the I Got Cabin Fever tune from the Muppets, and that summarizes my life very well right now. <laughs> we started virtual long-distance learning today for kindergarten, and it was just exhausting. I'm I'm so tired. <laughs> so you guys uh, just got going, huh? Because we had spring break, so. Uh, let, let me walk you through what happened to me. Um, <laughs> so just before the coronavirus worked its magic, um, the St. Paul Teachers Union was on strike for about two weeks. They resolved the strike the day that they decided to lock down the city and cancel school. Yeah, uh, that's not quite right. We had a week where nobody knew what they were doing. Then um, they decided to come back the week of spring break, which was last week. So we still didn't have school, and now we have school again. So it took a month to get long-distance learning set up because of all those factors. So, um, yeah, and this is the first day of it. it it's fine. <laughs> it, kindergartners aren't good at this um also <laughs> they uh they, they're not good at you know paying attention so it, it's it was rough right the computer to them is a device to watch a thousand youtube videos yeah. in succession after 30 seconds right yeah uh, they do do a lot of ipad learning in classes right now which i'm also not crazy about that necessarily so they are at least used to it a little bit but I, like he's in kindergarten i'm almost tempted to just be like and let's just punt on this till next year, but we'll we'll uh we'll soldier through. Like A B C, you get the rest. Yeah. Whatever, <laughs> go to first grade. Uh, meanwhile, I my family has unfortunately learned to video conference via Facebook, which has become a very dangerous part of my life. As my mom and stepdad who sit there on the video and just go, "Can you see us? Can you can you can you see us?" And then they interrupt every subsequent conversation. So we end up having four conversations at once. And now, unfortunately, my 75-plus-year-old grandfather has joined the mix. Has anybody shown up naked to a video chat yet, though? It would have been me, if anyone. <laughs> <laughs> if it were going to be anyone, it would have been me, just because uh, I don't have reason to get dressed anymore. So Well, we appreciate you putting on Brewer's attire for this. I, I put on, I have three of these Eric Thames t-shirts because by the time we got there, it was when they first started doing like 6.30 or 6.40 games. And I got there like 7.15, not understanding how schedules work and ended up getting a bunch of these because they had a lot of good fat guy sizes left. And they're like, oh, whatever you fit these, take them. <laughs> and I was like, cool. That's the uh, fear of the beard shirt, right? Yep. So this is just the shirt I wear now. It's <laughs> not always the same shirt, but it's the shirt I wear. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> and it's not, a, you know, I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to pull back the curtain, but it's tops only today, guys. <laughs> I'm wearing pajama pants, so. I'm just... <laughs> All right. Uh, we are sponsored this week by Carbon 4 Brewing. No, you know their classic beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Grab a six-pack on your next run to the grocery store. You can also get a deal on Carbon 4 merch online using our promo code MKETailgate at Carbon4.com. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. You can help support our podcast network on Patreon.com slash MKETailgate. Ball and Glove level and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Brad and Ryan. You can also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers offseason. Patrons will also get question priority here on the program, and you'll get a personal shout out when you become a patron. As always, you can help people find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So we didn't have a whole lot of news this week, and actually I was going to mostly scrub that. And then, I don't know, about a half hour, 45 minutes before we were going to start recording on Monday night, a fairly decent-sized chunk of news came out on MLB's plans for going forward. And this hit the AP wire, I don't know, at about 8 o'clock. So uh, the basics of this are that the AP is reporting that putting all 30 teams in the Phoenix area and playing in empty ballparks was discussed by Major League Baseball and the Players Association. So that was something that kind of came up. And there was actually previous discussion of this in Ken Rosenthal's piece on The Athletic last week, and there was a good write-up of it that you could read on MLB Trade Rumors if you're not a uh, subscriber, where they kind of talked about what obstacles this would still face. What is your initial reaction to this, guys? Uh, Paul, what do you think? Uh, I guess I like I like them thinking somewhat creatively. I, I cut down on travel a little bit, player interaction with the general populace, but I'm also guessing that you could play in empty stadiums pretty easily at home too. Uh, it seems fine. It seems like it, it increases the chances slightly that baseball will happen. But I, I, the, I think the fundamental problem with having games, I mean, you could play without people in stands. That's fine. But there's so many people that go into making baseball games happen aside from fans. Like fans are the big thing, but you still have players interacting with each other. You still have locker rooms. You still have to have cameramen and certain people there. And so there's still going to be some people at, at risk regardless of how much you strip it down. It's better than playing in a big, huge packed stadium. It's probably better than, you know, having people traveling on planes and whatnot, but better than nothing. But uh, I would almost just rather have them playing at their normal parks, um, which seems to be almost exactly the same with a few minor caveats. I don't know. It's fine. Brad? Yeah, I mean, if it gets baseball back sooner, I'm happy with it. But I think it's less realistic than when you're looking at, uh, you know, NBA, there's been some things mentioned where, they potentially turn a hangar into a basketball court in the middle of nowhere and just get guys in a hotel and play there. But you're talking about much smaller rosters. There's still a lot of people who need to get that going, but you're talking about a smaller contingency of people, at least, where you're talking about 52 players, a full coaching staff for each squad, the umpires, and then everyone else that is behind the scene that we don't consider every day. There are still a lot of people, and I don't think logistically safety is uh, really attainable in that situation, but I want baseball back. So <laughs> if, if it's the safest way to get baseball going, I'm fine with it. But I, I think the most important thing for me is that they know that it is in fact safe and that they, and I think it's hard right now to imagine that being the case in the near future where anyone would actually be guaranteed safe in 
you know, potentially 100 people being in the same, all the wide space, same space. Yeah. JP? Yeah, I'm pretty skeptical of it. Pretty much every piece of it, uh, to be honest. Like, I think the, I think the, idea of having it in phoenix makes a lot of logistical sense in terms of the the stadium uh and having everybody in the area especially having people in the phoenix area used to the fact that you're gonna have baseball folks around a lot you're going to have opportunities for housing things that are already taken into consideration for spring training that can potentially be used again or expanded for those things all of those things make a lot of sense for me in terms of arizona being a place that that makes some sense for it in terms of like the geography of the virus, the fact that like Phoenix hasn't really been hit, uh, makes it much more likely that it's going to be hit a little bit later. And then therefore any kind of subsequent kind of, uh, rebuilding after the virus or public, public safety concerns regarding the violet, the virus are going to be a little bit delayed there, um, versus a place like New York, not saying that like they should choose New York instead, just right. the idea of like where these things are, are, are locating. Are there any old people in Phoenix, JP? I've uh, heard one or two people like that dry heat, my man. Mm, indeed. Uh, but I've also heard uh, unconfirmed reports that, you know, the virus just dies when it's hot. So um, <laughs> oh, you, you never know, right? So I'm not I'm not a medical professional, nor should anything that disclaimer, I say. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> nor should anything I say involving uh, medicine be taken seriously. The other thing that comes into consideration as well is this has no bearing whatsoever on what they're going to be doing with minor leagues at all. Um, having no sense of what they're going to be doing with folks on 40-man rosters, how you're going to be uh, kind of preparing to create an atmosphere in which you can call up anybody from your 40-man roster and have them actually be ready. That's going to be a bigger issue with arms. Are they going to have some kind of like sim leagues happening at the different uh, kind of complex leagues? What are you going to be doing in terms of TV contracts? Um, you're, what are you going to be doing in terms of re- renegotiating kind of player wages? Because you're going to see a lot of a lot of money kind of be redistributed or not being able to be made whatsoever. I don't know. I just I understand why they want to be able to go through these things. I just don't think it's going to be easy, nor do I think it's going to be quick. Yeah, here's a money quote from the Ken Rosenthal piece. Quote, diverting resources from the healthcare would be another concern. Baseball would need to conduct wide-ranging testing for the virus, isolate anyone who gets sick, and provide proper medical attention. Such an effort would require outside assistance, the kinds of resources the league could not justify drawing away from the general population in the middle of a public health crisis. I think if we've seen anything in regards to sports whatsoever is uh, nobody cares. Yeah, they there does seem to be preferential treatment, though people have questioned that, like, People question a ton of things. It doesn't mean it changes. Well, yeah, but I mean, people really did get pretty riled up about, uh, was it Syndergaard and Sale and those guys having Tommy John surgery a week or two ago? And it still happened and everyone forgot about it in two days because, you know, every single day is a fucking month. <laughs> I always love that when you come on, you're the one who curses because you're like yeah, you the can least tell cursey. The, the JP episodes from the explicit tag on the pod. I curse way more in my everyday life. That makes you feel better. <laughs> well, I yeah. didn't know this much cursing was on the table. If I had known as one of yeah. the three guys they brought in to replace you that cursing was such a requirement, I would have been dropping f bombs a lot more. <laughs> I do think baseball will take um, the PR blast from having testing taken away from the general population worse than some of the other sports would, just because they're always hit worse for things like that. And 
basketball, I think, benefits from having fewer people and famous superstars. And football benefits from being football and having no scrutiny around it whatsoever. So, uh, like, I, I do think baseball, like, just like they're hit harder on steroids and other things like that. Um, the second anybody finds, like, one team that's had, like, five tests per player, they'll get just raked in the media for it. I mean, yes, they will. But at the same time, yes, they got criticized for steroids and, uh, you know, league revenue went up. True. The steroid also era, true. Right. And the fact is they're going to be so worried. Every single team in their ownership groups are going to be terrified about losing and having to refund television money. They are going to be willing to take that PR hit if they're going to get paid in terms of TV money. Also true. Getting the TV is the most important thing for them by far. Yeah. I mean, and good news. We've seen time and time again, though, that the owners truly care about the health of their players. And would they risk them in a situation like this? when just to make money are you saying that they would put money ahead of the safety of their players i mean they they just care so much about them and really don't view them as profit monkeys at all that they want to make money off of i uh, just i'm mostly shocked that they haven't like floated the idea of playing the mlb season in south korea like if i'm being legitimate <laughs> if i'm being honest like i'm shocked they haven't thrown that out I guess that would make sense, right? Uh, South Korea had like one of the tightest lids on the virus. They had one of the best responses to it. They yep. had uh, one of the low, uh, lowest curbs. And they have the capacity of the stadiums to be able to make that happen. It's I, a good idea. I think they're just letting these things leak for the sake of keeping themselves relevant more than anything else. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's like, hey, we are trying to give you this. Yes, they do not want to lose the TV money. But I just don't think it's realistically possible because a bunch of things are going to need to open up for them to be able to even get out to court or, uh, to make those happen. And then, you know, if you need medical treatment or anything, you need the orders to open back up so they can come back and get the treatment from the trusted doctors that they've grown to love, Dr. Andrews and his amazing Tommy John surgeries and, uh, you know, make that a reality. I think the logistics, no matter what you look at as a possibility, and like can, South Korea also can't support the issue that you brought up, JP, of what happens when the 40 man gets tested? What happens when those 26 men get injured? They can't really support what is going to happen when you need to bring a guy up, but they aren't ready. They aren't physically fit. They haven't had that, those game reps. Yeah, but I mean, they could support it just as well as, you know, the Arizona. Any, yeah. yeah, I mean, in that regard. But I do think if they're already playing scrimmages in, in South Korea, uh, they're already yeah. playing baseball scrimmages, they're already playing games in Germany, like they're already having their soccer teams play in like return to training uh, in Germany to try to get it ready to be able to get the Bundesliga on TV again, they are going to get this on television as soon as they possibly can. I'm Indeed. looking forward to the KBO hitting US TV. I'm hoping that ESPN or somebody, I mean, they have to have a bunch of money to just throw at them right now to, to try to get some sort of programming on the air, right? Um, I don't know. I assume that they also have a lot of money in contracts that they're not 100% sure that they're going to get any revenue from. True. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that a lot of these places are as liquid as we would expect. I would, I'd be much quicker to think that somebody gets some kind of venture capitalist thing going and there's some kind of like app that streams the KBO before like ESPN picks it up. Yep. Agreed with that. Hmm. That sounds quite likely. In fact, Paul, do you want to, do you want to pitch that somewhere? Let's get that up and going. Uh, would, would that I had capital for such a thing? I would love well, to. No, it's just, I'm on the West coast. We'll figure it out. Sounds good. Yeah. You just, uh, just walk around. To, oh, you can't walk around a bar and get seed money right now. Shoot. It's um, the other difficulty that, I mean, Arizona only ever really supports 
15 major league teams. I don't think I so. I mean, they it, have but... less space still, obviously. You have how many teams playing multiple games at one time. But And well, that place is built to host just a ton of people. Like, that's all all it is well and you also have some fairly big college stadiums that you yes. could work out okay, of. and you have i suppose you can have the diamondback stadium but then they can't play there because home field advantage well, well with empty stadiums yeah, but uh, I mean, i'm just have... telling you what all the like uh homebody fans are going to be ranting about if the diamondbacks <laughs> were allowed to play in their own stadium <laughs> yeah it would be it would I'm, be weird i'm but... surprised all the leagues haven't combined to get behind uh, and maybe even fund more development of widespread testing because the one thing that can get them back on, like they can't take tests out of the general population, but like the NFL's got a ton of money. Baseball does too. The NBA certainly does. If they started like actually like putting together some, some charities, whatever in their communities to get testing out there and take a bunch of tests for themselves, like their biggest limiting factor is being able to get up like accurate tests on how all their players and employees are doing on this. Once enough people have had it and clear, they can play, you know, going forward, no problem. And um, that's how you know who has to be quarantined. Like this is all, you know, trace and, and test that we've talked about forever. Given how much money they all have at stake, I'm surprised that they're not more heavily invested in making that happen for themselves. But of course, the the other thing that in, that comes up into this though is what what happens when somebody say. I don't know. Sure. We'll just say the Brewers for, I don't want to pick on any particular team. Uh, what happens when, I don't know, Ryan Braun tests positive at that point, if you go by the book, every single person should be quarantined for two weeks. But at that point, they're probably going to make some kind of adjustment that you would have to say Ryan Braun immediately goes on the DL for two weeks. I think that's true. And then you, then you clear him. I, I, I mean, if you have a good enough testing, that is a very small and very short-lived problem. Let's, right. Let's face it. Ryan Braun goes on the deal for two weeks, like all the damn time. Who cares? But it should be practices, um, though. That I think what JP's getting at is that everyone who had interaction with them the day before could potentially be a virus carrier, and therefore, yeah, right. That's why Paul is saying like have tests at the ready at all times. Right. Yeah. If you have tests, then you can also yeah. find out who's uh, been infected and quarantine was, them off. But then at the same, like that's why I kind of brought up South Korea, right? Because like they have the testing capacity to. They do. do that, that's what right? they do. That's yeah. why they're good. Yeah, so what I was bringing up is, how do we know that they haven't already like explored this? They probably have, right? They've, they've at least had discussions about this. The question is the feasibility of it and probably the optics of it. Like, Would it look bad from a PR perspective if they developed testing or they like did that but then held a bunch of it back for themselves though your point paul that like this is if literally were... just a matter of spin this is just we're dumping x million tests into our local communities so everybody can know everything and also we're <laughs> keeping ten thousand for ourselves and uh, and literally every single ever all they have to do is just to be like we're going to provide uh, x million you know x hundreds of jobs to television producers and stuff too and we're going to be pumping however much money into the arizona like arizona will probably personally give them all of those tests if you can convince the arizona the legislature to come in and say you're going to be bringing that much money in so we had a question from brock paper scissor on twitter and he was asking how do you think the missed games of the season will end up double headers as much as possible all canceled he said and i'm not sure exactly what he's referring to here but ticket sellers seem to expect rescheduling of them all i think he means because for like the ticket sellers all have postponed versus canceled Okay. I, I we've kind of touched on this, but I kind of expect them to just whenever they, whenever if ever they start to just pick up from where the season left off, right? 
maybe with a soft reshuffling of the schedule, but that schedule is so hard to implement, so hard to coordinate that it's really hard to really re like shuffle that at all, even if they want to say had more division games into the already expected games that they've had before. I, I think just based on how hard that is to allocate and already concerned about, they're probably going to have a short restart period, a small spring training 2.0. Uh, you're already concerned about player health and you're just going to try to get the games you can. There might be some double headers implemented, but I think it's going to be minimal in all. And I think even if there are games, the games that fans can actually attend are going to be even smaller. Well, so if you're playing in Arizona in the summer, doing doubleheaders is going to be really damn tough. I mean, playing a single game in 115 degree heat, because don't a lot of those, uh, the AZL games, they start later so that they can catch yeah. after sundown. They, they, I think the earliest they'll start is six. Every now and then, every now and then in the later season, you'll get a one o'clock game their time. But the latest they generally start once the season gets going is six because they want to avoid that 100 degree heat, especially on a, in a situation that's going to just exhaust the body. Yeah, uh, I, th I think the other thing to remember, too, is they've had some talks that players are willing to play until I think it was mid-November. Um, yeah. They've talked about having like a neutral World Series location. I I mean, I know that it was kind of bandied about that maybe Los Angeles would be it, but yeah. I they're going to get as many games in as they possibly can. If they can get all of them in one spot, too, I understand that part of why they're talking about Arizona is yeah. the fact to get them all centrally located, to get, make sure that they can have testing, to make sure they can limit travel, all of those things. It's also to get them in a warm spot where they can play late. Oh, yeah, Makes that would make sense, too. Okay, so we're going to come back to questions a little bit later, but the big reason that we were all together for this, and uh, I actually pulled this question from last week's episode, like I said, Darren Jones asked, uh, what are some of your earliest and fondest memories of attending baseball games? And so I decided to just hold this back for this week because I figured it would make for good discussion. I want to kind of go around first. Uh, what is your first memories of like playing baseball in some shape or form like what do you remember as a little kid the first time you can remember batting or playing catch or whatever like what do you remember about that as a little kid uh jp we'll start with you so i i loved pitching more than anything like uh i played a couple different infield positions but in general i i preferred to pitch and i remember i don't know i must have been one of the earliest times in which you like it wasn't coach pitch anymore, but I remember, I do actually remember a few coach pitch games, but like the first time that I remember like actually playing and pitching was a game in which I had the flu and I had convinced my parents that I was feeling okay. So you went on Michael and, Jordan. Well, but I totally wasn't and ended up getting sick in like you Adrian okay. Hauser. No, not on the actual like mound. <laughs> like it was like one of those things in which like I could tell I was going to be sick and like ended up getting sick. At, like in one of the the trash cans out by the dugout um and then like tried to still say i wanted to play anyway well this is and why we bring back former uh hosts of this podcast to talk about puke stories just vomiting yeah yep, that's because that was steve's big but story I mean, last week too that's like that's like one of the first things that i remember about playing is and the other thing too is i also played in um in a little league team with jesse vetter who was uh, i went to high school with her not close friends with them, but acquaintances with them. And but I, yeah, we. But I, 
I played on a baseball team with Jesse Vetter, who was ended up being a uh, Olympian gold medalist, and she was our best player. Not shockingly, because she was great. <laughs> and Olympic uh, athletes I, are good athletes. It turns out, and you know, she grew way quicker than everybody else. And so she was like, she was our star pitcher. And I remember a bunch of people being like, you got a girl pitcher. And we we're like, yeah, we do. <laughs> She's going to kick your ass. <laughs> I was like, we, yeah, we, we, we face her in practice. That's not fun. Um, yeah. And so I remember that too. And Jesse better just absolutely carving up people. Paul. So I always loved playing baseball, but I was terrible. Um, a lot of the reason I was terrible is because I had giant glasses. Um, and when I turned 18 in a brief period when insurance covered it and I was still under my parents, I got LASIK and I instantly became a much better baseball and softball player and uh, realized also that I just had a lot of bad coaching as a kid, like never learned to extend my arms when hitting. So I never got any power in the ball and fix that later. So I don't have a ton of fond memories of actually playing just because I was never good. I couldn't hit at all. My arm is terrible. I can't throw hard. So pitching was out of the question. But like I always liked it. I always like kind of the rules around it. Um, like playing softball. Um, but I went to a lot of games as a kid. Uh, I actually went to a few games in the 1982 season. Did not unfortunately go to a World Series game, though my parents did. I think. Um, but one of my first memories is actually at County Stadium in '82, and just having my dad like explain the rules and getting super rope, um, which is still the best <laughs> thing to get at baseball stadiums that they don't have anymore. Second, by the way, is the uh, the Dove uh, ice cream bar, which I, I'm also not sure they have anymore, which is really a shame. But uh, I, I loved going to County when I was a kid. I always remember being cold. Um, I, I remember having my dad walk me through like the whole lineup and like who Gorman Thomas and Ben Ogilvy and um, Pete Vukovic spitting and things like that. So, and I went to a ton of games for those like '80s Brewers teams because my parents went all the time and they would take me, uh, even though I was a little kid, a fair amount. So. I always have a fond spot in my memory for County for that reason, although Miller Park is a much better place to see a game. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I liked that I was around for uh, those actual World Series teams, or team, <laughs> to, to actually like see them play for real, even if I don't remember it that well. Uh, Brad? So memories of playing, when I was young, I would carry a baseball glove everywhere. And I remember like at four, begging people just to like, teach me how to throw, teach me how to catch, teach me how to throw, teach me how to catch. Like my grandpa took me out like one time and taught me how to throw and catch. But no one would sign me up for a baseball league. No one would do any of that. Uh, so I actually don't have really any like T-ball or coach pitch or anything like that memories. But when I was 17, um, I decided like that's when I started getting like really into baseball as a, an adult and deciding it was no longer boring. I started teaching myself how to pitch, got up to like mid-80s. Uh, went and tried out for an indie league, and like the only this is the only competitive baseball I played. I started out because I had a wicked curve because of course I love Ben Sheets, so the only thing I threw in my yard outside from a fastball was a curve. Struck out the guy on three straight curveballs. All the pitchers around me went oh, and then they realized I couldn't locate my fastball. And he, when I did locate it, he was just fat and he hit the heck out of it. And then they were all unimpressed. Those three pitches, God, I was God. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. So that was like my only competitive experience. So for three seconds, people thought I was a legitimate great curveball thrower and had good stuff. And then they saw the truth that I was not talented. Well, my best playing memory is actually not as a kid, it's as a grown up. Um, and it is part of a company softball league that I was a part of. When we, we played against 
uh, all lawyers, we played against these guys just with massive bombers uh, across the board on their team that won the league every year. And I, I have a fond memory of this because I, I've been playing around with this and I decided to finally do it where we decided to play them without a first baseman. Um, we, we played them with five outfielders because in softball you play 10 people. And I, I was the pitcher and I pitched and I covered first base. Uh, so every time I threw a pitch, I would run over to first base. And they spent the first three innings trying to hit down the first baseline unsuccessfully because I didn't give them a pitch to do that with and just got frustrated and started bombing it to our outfielders, two of which were playing ridiculously deep. And this team that averaged like 16 runs a game, we beat two to nothing um, in the in the semifinals of that league that year. So they they just hated me for the shift and started yelling at me um, for a lot of the game, which was super fun and very, <laughs> very enjoyable. Thank you to my team for buying into that and actually doing it because that was also fun. So the first memory I have is Fireman's Park in Middleton. If anybody's familiar, that was where all the like uh, T-ball diamonds were. So they had a, just a whole bunch of them kind of all stacked in there together and going and playing as, I don't know, probably a six-year-old, seven-year-old and uh, going and my, my dad's youngest brother showed up to one of my games. And this was right before he unfortunately had a construction accident and he lived for a few more years, but was in a coma the rest of his life. I was trying to jog my memory of talking to my mom about it. She thinks it was probably the last time I saw him was him coming and watching my T-ball game and then taking me out and buying me a, a new bat because the bat I had, he said, was now you, you need something better than this. So that's the first kind of memory that I have. And I remember specifically being very annoyed that the kid who lived up the street from me, Brad Howells, got to play shortstop, which I wanted to play because it sounded cool because it was the only one that had that like different sounding name, first base, second base, third base. Yeah. But then there's shortstop. So I, I specifically remember that as a little kid. Uh, probably, yeah, I must have been six, six, seven years old. Is that when kids play t-ball? You're throwing an innocent kid under the bus, man. <laughs> well, Brad ended up being like the best, one of the best athletes in our class. And he was on varsity soccer, like when he was a freshman and like, he was fantastic. When I was growing up, the main thing that we did for baseball, because I grew up in the Madison area was going to minor league games at Warner park. Has anybody else, I mean, JP, I'm assuming you've been to games at Warner Park. So did you ever, were, do you know if you were there during the Muskie era? Because you would have been just a little, little kid at that point. Uh, I don't remember. We didn't go to, I went to a few Brewers games like through school, but I don't remember them all that much. Like I didn't really start going to games unless it was like some kind of school related thing. I didn't really start going until, um, late high school and part of it was for financial reasons you know like it madison to to milwaukee is is quite a bit and you know just it it takes quite a bit of money to to take kids to the baseball to, to baseball but um but i think i more went to black wolf games okay so the black wolf were a team that was in the independent league and the same league with st paul saints for a while yeah and that was after the Madison Muskies left and they were affiliated with the Oakland A's. And so like Jose Canseco and all those guys, Terry Steinbeck, they all came through there. But by the time I was old enough, they were guys who were stars in the big leagues. And we had like Ozzy Canseco, who was like the big draw. I remember going to games and being like, ooh, <laughs> Ozzy Canseco, he's cool because, you know, his brother's Jose and Jose was a monster at that point. So, yeah, I, I definitely remember that. So I was. I thought this story was about me, but it actually, I, I talked to my mom today and she confirmed it was actually about my sister. So apparently we went to a game 
when she was like three or four years old and the the musky thing was they did the let's go fish chant where you take your hands you put them out in front of you you know and then you go let's go fish the let's go fish chant was a big deal they did that that was whatever and especially for little kids picking up on that well the next morning we went to church and our church had bleacher style seats so my sister started the let's go fish chant in church and (laughs) totally uh yeah like one over the crowd and everybody thought that was totally adorable. But yeah, cause it looked like, I mean, the church looked like a baseball stadium. So um, uh, whatever, make it a fish's love story. No big deal. <laughs> you can just turn it into a parable. So yeah, I mean, I remember Warner park was, we went to all kinds of musky games and I remember as a little kid chasing around for foul balls out behind the uh, right field stands because there was just a bunch of big open space. And if you caught a ball, you could get like a, they would give you like 50 cents for it or something. They would have a guy you'd go hand it to. And so people would run, chase around there when they were like, you know, six, seven years old. So they could get money back whenever there was a ball followed back there. And now, I mean, that place has been through so many things, but for the last, what, almost 20 years now, it's been the, it's the Northwoods the team. Yeah. The Mallards. The Mallards. Mallards. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, with the duck blind. And by the and way, the, Mall- the Mallards have done a phenomenal job in terms of their marketing in Madison. Oh, they've, absolutely. They're they're like their party deck and everything that they do for corporate events. They do a really nice job. They get involved with the community quite a bit. Um, they've done a really, really good job in general. And I think they're one of the stronger kind of independent leagues outside of, you know, St. Paul Saints, obviously, are a different beast. But yeah. um, when you get into that sort of thing, I think the Mallards have done a beautiful, beautiful job. Speaking of which, I have a good St. Paul Saints story for you guys. So Bill Murray uh, used to or maybe still does own the St. Paul Saints. And he was in Madison for a game against the Black Wolf in probably who had been in high school. So mid to late 90s. And my friend Jay went over to him to get his autograph. And we're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's really going to give you an autograph. He's watching his team play like, no, just leave him alone. So Jay goes over and he gets him to sign the thing and he yells at us across from like three sections over. Hey guys, I got it. It is like waving the thing. He comes running back over to us to show off his, his autograph. He opens up the piece of paper and it just says no on it, (laughs) (laughs) which he, he threw it out and like, that was way, way better. Yeah. That's so stupid. Like that's way better than an autograph. Like that is that's classic. You should frame that thing. So, yeah. And so the so the the whole like sad Bill Murray thing from the when the Badgers beat Xavier, that was karma coming back at him, boy. That's what that was. <laughs> I think Jay may have mentioned that at the time when that happened too. Like, take that for signing no on my sheet of paper. So, yeah. <laughs> my dad, my dad from the uh, Madison Blackwolf, a Madison Blackwolf game, not the Madison Blackwolf game, but like one of the only ones that I, that we went to. Um, per, the professor from uh, Gilligan's Island was there, and <laughs> okay. my dad, like right. my dad, my dad loved Gil, uh, um, uh, Gilligan's Island. Right? I almost called Gulliver's Island. I was like, yeah, Jonathan Swift. Uh, but um, yeah, so Gilligan's Island was like something I watched growing up because it was something that my dad enjoyed, and it was on like TV Land or whatever the old like television station was, and uh, and so it said, you know, like. Like to my dad's name and like had all this stuff and it said love the professor and so my dad put it up in his office and he would just tell everybody that asked about it saying that the professor loved him um and good conversation piece and it's in my so like my parents have their downstairs 
uh, bathroom that they added when I was in high school, all decked out in Wisconsin stuff, like Badgers, Brewers, Packers, all that kind of stuff. And then it's the professor right there, <laughs> just out on like the Black Wolf, uh, awesome. the Black Wolf letterhead signed and signed to my dad. Now it has a very, very prominent place right next to the front page of the Milwaukee. Nope. Uh, the, uh, the, Madison newspaper, Wisconsin State Journal. Wisconsin is that State a journal or Capital Times? Yeah, yeah, Wisconsin State Journal. When uh, the Badgers won the, won the Rose Bowl against U- UCLA, right next to it. Nice. That is See, that I, is classic. I, I also have a celebrity Northwoods League <laughs> story. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, I'll make it quick. Uh, I went out for work actually to a Kingfish game, and uh, I'm standing next to this guy. I'm supposed to take. We had a winner of a contest who was throwing out first pitch. So I'm standing next to them, and there's just this huge muscular guy next to me. And I was like, must be like a former player. I don't really know who this is. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And then, like, I take the picture of our winner throwing, like, the first pitch. And then I, like, rush back to, like, the gate. And they're like, and now, back home in Kenosha to throw out the first pitch, Melvin Gordon! (laughs) You didn't recognize Melvin Gordon from the Dreads? I had no, I don't know what he looks like without a helmet. And he looks so tiny compared to everyone else on the field. (laughs) In like day clothes. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm not sure Melvin Gordon should be classified as tiny. I've I've seen him even when he was at UW Madison. He was big. He's a big dude. Like, I I think of running back and I think like 5'10. And here he is. And he just, I'm six foot even. He made me feel like the tiniest man on earth. But like, I didn't really put it together. And then I, I grab a ticket, and my nephew loves Nelson Gordon. So I hand it to my wife, and I go, you're cuter than me. Go wait by the gate. And she gets an autograph from him, <laughs> which is nice because he ignored, like, a few other, uh, like, full-grown men. So I was like, ah, made the right decision. Send the cute one over, and you'll uh, get an autograph. Uh, thankfully, he spent, he made sure every kid got an autograph. I just told Abby to make sure that she waited until after the kids were gone because I didn't want to ruin that. Uh, and then he just uh, hung out in his little private party deck. It was pretty cool, pretty chill. But yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, huh, I'm the idiot who couldn't recognize Melvin Gordon while standing literally a foot away from him for five minutes while we waited for like the national anthem to finish up in the first pitch. Nice. Paul, you already kind of talked about this a little bit, but your earliest memories of going to a major league baseball game. So you said you were at some games in 82. Do you really remember them or? Uh, um, I, I do remember them actually pretty well in that. Like I can tell you where I sat. Um, approximately, Whoa. which was um, not not seat number, but uh, third base side um, on the first deck, uh, probably like 20 rows up um, by where posts started to come down and obstructed views started to kind of happen. I feel like we sat there almost every time. And not that we had season tickets. We certainly did not. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, that was what my parents figured out was good. And um, I remember crunching peanuts and throwing them on the ground and thinking that was really cool. And I remember... My parents telling me, like, that's Raleigh Fingers. You can tell because his mustache is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so, um, things like that. So, yeah, uh, I've, you know, I don't remember, like, I couldn't tell you many final scores or anything like that. But um, I remember, like, things happening pretty distinctly. And I remember having players explain to me and, um, like, figuring out the rules when I was five and, like, how to tag up and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a different era, too, because there wouldn't have been nearly as many games on TV. So you wouldn't have been able to see them on, like, a nightly basis the way that you would have. That's true. We actually, uh, we were big radio listeners, too. We would have Euchre on, like, all the time. Um, Pretty much every weekend, we would go to Gillies and 
eat in the car and have the game on at the same time um, on Sunday or Saturday, wherever whenever that happened. Um, so we we like listened to every game that wasn't on TV. We watched every game that was and went to like a fair amount for you know kind of like a, a young couple on like their first or second real jobs uh, with a kid or and then two kids. And I got to go more than I like in retrospect. I got to go a lot more than I probably should have. Well, you were also in Milwaukee. I think the rest of us grew up outside of the city. So that, that's true. We were we were close. Um, and like I, I other things, I like. I have my my way. I get to Miller Park. Um, that w- that's how my parents used to go to County Stadium. That's not the freeway, and I still take that way because it's still the best way to get there. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know, little things like that. So, uh, JP, you said that in high school you went or for school things, right? To major league games. Yeah, yeah, we went to some like I went to County Stadium in elementary school, like first or second grade. I think we went once. Uh, I remember going with my aunt. But in general, like I don't like my parents were they liked baseball, but um, during during the summer, like I played a lot of baseball, Uh, like I played on like two traveling teams and like it was we didn't go to many games because like I was playing a lot. And when I wasn't playing, I started kind of playing junior golf later once I had to choose between two sports. And so like that took a lot of stuff during the summer as well. So I didn't go to a lot of games until I got a little bit older and my mom got more into baseball when I got older. And in general, it was something that like my dad and I ended up going um, quite a bit for that. But in yeah, I don't, there are like games that I very much remember and things that happened with my dad and I and like went with my grandpa and, and went as an entire family and things like that. And, you know, like I remember the first game that that my wife and I went to, but I don't really remember too much about the games themselves. Uh, to be honest, like yeah. I don't, I don't generally. It probably sounds bad, but like I don't actually care about watching the game all that much when I go. Like I, I'm just there to like, I want to go tailgate. I want to hang out with my friends and family, and like I'll, we'll watch the game, and that's fine. But like, I don't really care. If I really wanted to watch the game, I'd, I'd watch it on television. Uh, Brad. Uh, I have a bunch of vague memories, like Paul. Um, I mean, I have a single mother, and I grew up in Cudahy. Oh, so you I, were in town. I thought you were yeah. always further down the road. Okay. Uh, no, uh, Racine came later in my life. I'm willing to confess that. Um, it's you know, it is a black mark on my history, but uh, I actually love this city uh, more than a lot of people. But uh, Cudahy, so we grew up in Cudahy, and my mom would take us to county stadium games. I remember always like looking up at those boxes that hung up like by Bob Euchre where there was like two rows um, along the wall and being like, I want to sit in that. Um, and I remember really, really, <laughs> really wanting to see balloons come out of the chalet. And then the first time I ever saw them come out of the chalet is when my parents went left early to beat traffic. Oh no. <laughs> the, the balloon, you can see the balloons flying out of oh. the stadium. <laughs> um, but like my first vivid memory would be in Miller Park in uh, uh, for school, and we were there for that seventeen inning game in two thousand three. Uh, oh, which I guess I like looked. I looked back at it just to make sure I was remembering like the time correctly, and it was a four hour forty two minutes. I remember we had to leave early because the buses were only like commissioned to like go so late, uh, and like I guess I didn't really realize quite. Like Kerry Wood had 13 strikeouts in that game and seven huh. shutout innings. 
Uh, ben Sheets had eight in, uh, with only an earned run in eight innings. Uh, uh, Brooks Kieschnick threw and gave up two earned runs to lose the game. And it's like all these things that would eventually become things that, like tropes I would really cling on to as I developed my Brewers fandom. But things like in the start of that weren't things I necessarily appreciated at the time. So uh, it's kind of weird looking back at that. I also have a lot of all-star game, like vague memories, but I actually that summer had double foot surgery because I actually have extra bones in my foot. So they like realigned my foot to be kind of the correct shape, but it's not really the correct shape. And uh, so I went in with cast and like, I remember I got to like the front of every line, but like I went to the front of the hall of famer line and handed them a book to sign, but I'm drugged to like, they cut my Achilles tendon three times in each foot. So I'm drugged up enough not to feel that. So I have no recollection of who those players were, <laughs> what they signed, what happened, if any words were said. I remember going to the front of the line, and that's about it. And then I think we actually, uh, around the same time, uh, my stepdad would get us into, like, luxury boxes. And uh, because he had a partnership, they're like, he, he could get, like, the Harley Davidson uh, box seats. Like, you could sign up for the one the owners weren't going or whatever. So, but I, again, like that happened a lot the year I was drugged out of my mind all summer because I was letting my Achilles tendons heal. <laughs> so, uh, not many memories from that, even though it was probably the like fourth most often I went to Miller Park in a single summer. Okay. Well, I think I've isolated it down to the series that I saw first because I'm fairly certain, and I, I confirmed with my mom today, she didn't think that we went, that we as a family went until the 90s. And I'm fairly certain the first time I ever saw a big league baseball game in person was is a series against the Yankees in June of 1990. And my aunt took me and my cousin down and we went to a couple games. And I remember being cold and rainy, but the games actually didn't get delayed. We were under an overhang, so we weren't actually getting rained on. But like everybody had scurried back up from the front of the seats, but they were still playing because it was at least warm enough and not rainy enough to continue. And they looks like they, they lost two out of three in that series. So I'm not sure exactly which games I was at, but I, I know I was at two of them. So that would be the first time. The other memories I have of going a little bit later when we would come down for Bucks games or for some other reason, one of the big things when we were in Milwaukee was always to go to the ground round. Like it was for some reason it was a big favorite of my dad's. Like he loved oh, the ground man. round. So I used he, to live right by a ground round. It's probably the one he went to. I mean, it was one that was right on the way in and out of town. So I just sort of assumed it was the one out in Waukesha, the one that's by that mini golf course. Or is that even still there anymore? Neither. I know what you mean. Neither of those things is still there. Oh, they're down. Well, not okay. the ground round I meant. So. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So I, those are things I definitely remember. Milwaukee meant going to the ground round. That was like a thing my dad was all about at the time. I don't know why, <laughs> but yeah. It's like how, not baseball related, but I remember being excited to go to like the Ponderosa and I was like, oh, that's how I know my family was poor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were big Ponderosa people too. That's what happens. Yeah. You have, you have four kids that that's yeah. When, Ponderosa is yeah, uh, six, large, uh, which uh, thankfully my parents were in a pretty good situation. So that ended up not being too bad, but until my mom remarried, you know, we were in a <laughs> pretty yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Buffet-heavy rotation when we went out. The other thing that, like, I have no recollection of, but I have a bunch of, bunch of things that prove it happened, is I have so many player autographs from my mom taking us down to the player lot after a game. Like, I have a Robin Young signature on a glove. I have a Nolan Ryan ball. 
I have like so many artifacts from the late 80s, early 90s uh, as proof that like I met all these players and I have, I don't even remember Stan. I kind of remember one time and I think it was the Nolan Ryan where we like hung over the outfield wall screaming at someone as they warmed up. But I didn't know why I was screaming. I was screaming because my brother was screaming. I was like three. (laughs) (laughs) But of course I was the cuter one because I was three and because I looked better than my brother anyway. He took the ball for me and signed it. Uh, I think that was Nolan Ryan, but it's all vague. It might have been created in my head. It might be like Ryan, just a bunch of fake memories. You know, <laughs> I, I'm the one who created the fish chan in church. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a bunch of vague memories that might not have even played out the way I think they did. <laughs> well, I, I looked up a couple of early specific ones to make sure they happened, and they weren't that early. Um, so I, I remember being at a game where Juan Castillo made three errors in an inning, um, which was in 1988 against the White Sox in a game they lost three to one. And I was all, my first walk-off, I do remember, which Franklin Stubbs hit um, <laughs> after trying unsuccessfully to bunt twice, which was maybe more of a formative uh, occurrence than I made it out to be because th- that was great. Holy crap, I remember my first walk-off now. Like, that, like, just jogged. Like, it was the Damian Miller home run. Oh, on, on uh, was it, it was lacrosse day, right? Yeah. Right. So that, that was my first live walk-off. I love that game because um, that, that was a day where the, the giveaway at the monogrammed bat stand, it was free for any player that um, hit. If you got that player's like autograph on the bat or something like that, it was free if you hit a walk-off home run. And Damian Miller hit a walk-off home run that day. And normally there'd be nobody who possibly got a Damian Miller autographed bat because who, who cares about Damian Miller? But it was a day when like the entire, his like entire hometown happened to be at the game simultaneously. And they, they gave away like, like 500 of them or like a thousand of them. I remember there was like a section that you could definitely hear louder as the walk off was going, or like as as like he's running the bases. I think so, uh, James might have been say, there for that. So for lacrosse day, Ryan, is that like your own personal holiday? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good callback, JP. It's a good callback. All right. So we have just a few questions this week that I uh, wanted to get to here, and this one was was uh, came in from Jeremy Natchman on Patreon. So although it was well known for uh, or speculated about at least for a while, Christian Yelich's extension was made official on March 6th. This was five days before Rudy Gobert tested positive for the coronavirus, starting a cascade of sports leagues suspending their seasons. Do you think that if the virus timeline had been even a week or so sooner that it would have resulted in either Yelich or the Brewers backing off from the extension? What do you think, Paul? Um, Maybe yes, because... A lot of companies, once it became obvious this was going to shut down business for a while, stopped doing things like that. I I don't think baseball has really been any different, which is not to say it wouldn't have happened. But I I definitely think, uh, you know, a few weeks there may may have made the difference between handing out big cash contracts and not doing so. So, uh, I mean, I would give a small wager to it may have delayed it. Yeah. Right. More of a pause button scenario. Right. Yeah. It's it's not. I think those two come to terms regardless. I just don't know if it happens then, if that situation is a week further back. JP? Uh, no, I, I think that it would have gone through just just the same. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have gone through the same mostly because, I mean, from what I can tell, it's he's paid basically the exact same this year, right? Like, in it's... I was trying to figure out what the 
It changed nothing up front. Yeah, but I think it was like a. It says 1.7 million signing bonus on Cots contracts, but like I can't tell if that's an old one just because of the way that it's structured. Just the the little blurb, the the website. So I can't tell if it ended up like causing anything more. But I do think that one of the biggest things that ended up coming out with the Bielich deal was number one, they didn't spend as much as they were planning to on the on the payroll in the first place. Um, I think they kind of struck out on a few things that they were working on. Um, but it also, like fundamentally, it's a it's a huge PR win for them to kind of move a lot of goodwill going forward. I mean, maybe it could have been a little something different, but even throughout this coronavirus pause, Christian Yelich is getting a whole lot of run. So it's been he's been the face of you know, the team on, on MLB network, if they're doing anything in terms of community messaging, it's been him. It's not been Ryan Braun. Mm. It is everything going through Christian Yelich. And part of that might just be because, you know, once you make that decision, that option becomes available to you. But in the way that this organization has been looking forward so extensively and trying to um, not lock up their money long term. If they were willing to do it, then I don't think that the uncertainty around the coronavirus uh, would have changed that. Just because it didn't really change anything on the front end of it, everything was on the back end. Yeah, I think True. I'm inclined to go with the pause idea though, because we just haven't seen any extensions since. That's, that was going to be my follow up. Is I can't think of anything similar that's happened since then. Yeah, I but don't the same, think there's been an the extension time, since the shutdown. At the same time, when do you often see a lot of extensions yeah. in March? I mean, you see right. extensions and right up, see up to the early part of the season, too. Well, Guys often sign extensions. extensions. though, like right beforehand, and I feel like those were the notable extensions. I feel like normally we're seeing a little bit lesser. Uh, That's true. You know, like covering a couple arbitration years versus covering like a five-year deal that eats up two free agency years. A Freddie uh, Peralta deal versus know, like, a Ryan or a Yelich deal. Yeah. The reason I would still kind of lean that way is, uh, aside from the virus's impact on people, I do think once businesses start to see, like, stock markets start to tank and, you know, possibilities of recession or depression pop up, they do become a little less willing to throw cash out there, um, even into future commitments, because even if the virus is under control, you know, whatever, I don't think it will be, but if it's under control two months from now, that doesn't mean the economy will recover two months from now and, and that could last into the next couple of years too. So, um, yeah, but they didn't they didn't change anything until 2022 in the contract. Uh, yeah, well, they they did change that they have to pay him um, in the future a lot of money. It, sure, but they didn't have any long term commitments locked up anyway. They didn't. Um, but I mean, it's not like it's a ton of money for a baseball team, but it's a lot of money that you are now committed to pay that you weren't before in quite uncertain times. Yeah, yeah. but I I. Yeah, but I still think that they would have imagined themselves uh, having to pay, you know, $100 million for a payroll. Probably so. Regardless, right? Yeah, I would love to have been in, to have heard the discussions between Yelich and his agent if coronavirus ever came up in their discussion, if they, if it even was on their radar, if it was something that they had paid any attention to, or if it was just a total non factor the way it was I don't for think, a lot like, of people. It felt like the country didn't really consider it was real until the NBA shut down. Like the NBA shutting down was the first time where everyone was like, whoa, it just shut, took something away. Yeah, it was Rudy Gilbert, Tom Hanks Day, I think, was a big turning point for the country. Well, and, and remember, I, that afternoon was when the NCAA uh, decided to go empty gyms 
for the tournament that they ended up canceling. But they yeah. they had just that afternoon decided to go empty gyms, and that was conference tournaments had already started at that point because that, that was Wednesday, and they were right, already I, like going on, and then they ended up canceling them on Thursday. I say I wouldn't. I wouldn't have expected that the coronavirus would have come up in Yelich's conversations. I think something that I think the fact that he enjoys being in Milwaukee, I think, is a legitimate thing. Like I've heard that from multiple people. He, enjo- be, yeah. he enjoys being in Milwaukee. He enjoys being a big fish in a small pond in which he's still able to kind of function as a normal person. Um, and maybe that is uh, being with the Marlins and then coming to the Brewers. It seems like <laughs> a phenomenal thing. Uh, there, you know, maybe we can thank the Marlins for that. But I do think, if I had to speculate, I would imagine that his knee injury at the end of the season probably played a pretty big factor into him being willing to to extend his contract. I mean, is even talking to older athletes or talking to people who are veterans in in baseball. Um, they, you're, you'd be surprised how many of them cite a major injury as something where they kind of saw themselves as maybe this could be taken away from them, uh, more quickly than expected. And in a way that was not necessarily their fault. And the fact that it was such a freak injury for, for Yelich, I think is a pretty big reminder for, for him that, you know, like that can end. Um, and it's not any rhyme or reason to it. It can be a freak thing like a foul ball that can uh, give you a pretty, pretty messed up injury. And he got, yeah. you know, he was fortunate to come out in the way he did. Well, well and if you're talking about a guy who's playing better than he ever has. And well, I mean, it extended into when he started that tear that won him the MVP. But at that time, he's still at the pinnacle of his play. And all of a sudden you're human again. Like very quickly, makes sense. Yeah. Well, All right. And I, I was gonna say, I do think that the other thing to like, since I've been doing things for fantasy baseball recently, um, I, I just, I cannot believe how many people don't realize what kind of year he was projected to have if he didn't lose pretty much all of September. Like for how much everybody has been all about like Ronald Acuna and you know being somebody who could be a potentially forty forty guy. I was like that. That was pretty much Yelich last year if he got his September is he could have led the league in homers and still had 30 plus stolen bases. Yep. Like he was having a phenomenal year. And the only reason that people don't talk about the fact that he missed all of September or almost all of September is the fact that his uh, raw numbers look like he played all year. That's right. true. They do. Yeah, and people were already kind of he was old news at that point. Bellinger was the exciting news story, so people had already kind of moved on to that in terms of like the MVP discussion <laughs> and that. Even though Yelich was neck and neck, if not ahead, when they actually got hurt, and and Bellinger did not close strong, so he kind of had Yelich continued on, he probably would have won the MVP over Bellinger because of Bellinger's you know fade towards the end. Um, Justin Sajan asks, and I think it's Sajan. Sorry if I got that wrong. Um, what will the Brewers do with all their one-year uh, plus team option contracts if there's no baseball in 2020? So if there's no baseball in 2020, those contracts for the the 2020 portion become no, like they're they're not. The the guys get their money that they get paid out. I think it was that 170 million gets divided up among the players. 
and that year passes, the year of service time goes. But I would assume the Brewers still have the options on it's pretty much everybody. Like who didn't get an option? Was it Brett Anderson? Like that's pretty much it. Everybody else they signed to a one year contract, they got an option for twenty twenty one as well. So hey, there were like two or three year contracts in there. Yeah, there Thomas were yeah. and uh, Limbloom. Yeah, Lim Limbloom got a three year contract and Avasil got a two year contract and I think a team option, an option. for a third. Yeah. So that could become a mutual option, which I think is now it's going to be a team option because I think that banked somewhat on his plate appearances this year, right? Though I don't know how that works if you have a plate appearances thing in your contract. At any rate, I think it was plate appearances uh, for it was plate appearances in 2021 or 2020 and 2021 combined. So it was like two options anyway. Uh, okay. So I think it ends up being not mattering. Anyway, what do you because it is an interesting position the Brewers will find themselves in. What do you think they're going to do with that stuff, JP? I I think if we have seen anything the last couple of years, they'll decline them all and go to market. Um, they'll go to market, especially in a year in which they can then basically every single team can claim even being more poor than normal. Mm. Um, and I think that you'll see a lot of people being able to go to market and get lower, lower market deals. And in a really cynical way too, you'll see a lot of players who are on the fringes who haven't necessarily had a chance to make bank in their career being willing to take pretty much anything because they want to be guaranteed. Um, guaranteed that money so i would imagine that they pretty much decline all of them uh do the brewers like to cry poor i think <laughs> that to be the case <laughs> i think that uh a lot of people like to cry, to, yeah. to cry right. poor right we like to tunnel vision it because of our mark our interests our rooting interests but it really is a lot of baseball teams oh uh, i just meant General. I just meant literally, literally I just people. meant literally everyone, including right. myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, this is David Stern's galaxy brain, right? He saw it coming. He projected his system projected what was coming out, <laughs> how it was going to impact the season. He's just ahead of the curve on so many things. Like the expert should have been talking the White House should have been going to him. Because he knew. He knew exactly how this was going to play out. And uh, he, he set his team up for it because uh, once they decline all these contracts, they're going to have paid these players pennies compared to what they were owned and are owed and uh, be able to, if they still want to go forth with the super platoon plan, sign them for cheaper than they were going to pay them. And probably with the buyouts, they'll end up in a better place because I 100% agree with JP. I think we're going to have a, a very team friendly market because yeah. everyone's going to be jarred. Everyone is going to be jarred. So David Stern saw what was coming. The the Yelich conversation that we just had kind of throws a wrench into that whole thing, though, doesn't it? People come here for Brad's conspiracy throat corner, and I really got to drag Lisa. <laughs> I was going to say, Ryan will teach you how to come up with a good conspiracy theory if we need one. You got to go. You got to go to one of the masters. You got to go to somebody that will come up with something, and then once you start poking holes in it, comes up with a new one. In the middle of it that's what you need you got to be able to think on your feet in these situations paul save us from this well i i mean i, I agree with that as well it's going to be super owner friendly uh, and i they'll dive back in that's the smart thing to do so i do not disagree uh, i disagree with the extent of brad's conspiracy but not the spirit of it so um yeah i'm, I'm on board with that i i would say just like a quick thing too on uh, the biggest thing that pay uh, that revenue is obviously going to be 
impacted throughout this entire thing across yeah. the league. That's 100% true. That teams are going to be dealing with some constrictions, but the the one thing that it's important to recognize when it's coming through these things and the reason why baseball teams and big sports franchises do not act like everybody else when it comes to well, I have to run my my own family on a budget. Access to capital is vastly, vastly different when you're talking about a baseball team, when you're talking about individual owners, and when you're talking about ownership groups. The reason why they're going to be able to get into the game as quickly as possible, and the reason why they can weather these things, and the reason why they can actually pay people when they say they can't pay people, is access to capital when other normal individuals in in society do not have access Mm -hmm. to capital. So I teams will have the ability to spend they do have the ability to spend and cover people's uh, salaries now but you know i just want to put that out there as well oh and they're gonna be saving half a million dollars a piece once they use this as their, their final reason to contract the minor leagues anyway uh, but on top of that this is the this is the scenario that david Stearns loves to operate in right it's what helped him set up for a very successful 2018 and 2019 season was operating in owner and team favorable markets where you can get a deal that any other season you wouldn't be able to get and turn that into an overall net positive for your team. It's, you know, what brought Yasmani Grandal to the Brewers. It's what uh, made Lorenzo Kane and Christian Yelich both an opportunity. I mean, Christian Yelich was purely from having a stacked farm and needing to bail on guys who were going to be up on the 40 man and not be able to sustain that space. And a great player was out there. A thousand reasons came behind that. But it's why you can stack up and suddenly have four outfielders, even if one doesn't want to get traded. Uh, you can take advantage of markets that end up putting extreme value into your lap. And that's what he loves to operate in. We've seen it. Like, we don't know much about his consistency because the plan seems to change year in, year out. But we know the guy loves a bargain. And that's the market that he, he'll be operating in the offseason if the season never takes place. We don't know how this is going to impact player performance. Right. And it's also they are, as we were talking about before, they're particularly well set up in terms of payroll flexibility to be able to do this because they just don't have a lot of long term commitments outside of Christian Yelich. Like they really think, aren't locked into a lot of stuff. So they can right, kind of bronze off the books and which is kind of a bummer that we're losing bronze last season. But your, your third biggest payroll contribution is off the books. And then it's all down to pennies after your top two. Yeah, it really is. After after Kane and Yelich, it really mm-hmm. there's not a lot of guys making a lot of money at this point. So, last question from Adam Post, and he was asking, "What's the baseball uh, coaching history for everyone? Like the highest level you you played or coached?" I'll go first because highest level I played was little league, not at all, and highest level I coached was uh, beer league softball. So which is really up there. I already talked about the shift, but I, I just wasn't that good. I played a ton of sports too. I was very non-specialized. I played like every sport, averagey, some better than others, but I did not concentrate on baseball. So I never was on a traveling team or did not play in high school when I still had giant glasses and couldn't hit it all. So, yep, that's mine. Brad? Uh, I have a weird answer to this question in that I have a degree in coaching baseball. I, you know, the University of Wisconsin Whitewater loves to get D1 quality athletes that were on the fringe, didn't get a scholarship, and instead can come to a winning team. And uh, when I was going there, minors were part of the requirement. So what's an easy minor to give an athlete and make it like not seem like a chore for them? Coaching. 
uh, as a person going through a journalism program who was very interested in getting into the sports side of broadcasting, coaching seemed like a great compliment to my degree. So I ended up getting a coaching degree and uh, taking that and using that to actually do a bit of one-on-one -on -one instruction with a few pitchers. And then I ended up doing some one-on-one -on -one instruction with hitters. Uh, which I learned as much as I wanted to be a good pitching instructor, I'm a much better hitting instructor. Much, 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 much. Um, I can adjust like minor mechanical flaws, but when it comes to the intricacies that really make a difference once you get to higher tier pitching, I, I am not as uh, detail oriented as I need to be. Uh, so uh, I would say some high school uh, pitching uh, or hitting and uh, some lower level pitching. Uh, in terms of play, as I said before, about all my play time is made up of is me trying out for that one team, striking out that one guy in three straight curveballs, and then being miserable for the rest of the time after that. JP? <laughs> Not much, to be frank. I, I Like what ends up happening, right, is when you play multiple different sports in the exact same season, once you get into high school, you're forced to pick. And uh, I did not pick baseball because I was better at a different sport. And uh, Golf, but I right? played, yeah, yeah, and I and I played badly into college. Um, so, but I played on like three. I think one my last summer before I think so eighth grade. I played on like three different traveling baseball teams in in Wisconsin, and like God bless my parents for dealing with that. Like it was like leaving one practice to go straight to another one. And it was like a phenomenal summer for me. I loved it. I, now being older, I realized like how miserable that had to have been for my parents, but um, they're wonderful, wonderful people. And they helped me do that. And so I ended up playing a bunch of travel leagues. Um, but then after that, uh, I ended up doing a lot of going to a lot of minor league games and sitting with scouts and talking basically. So not, not any coaching, um, my baseball playing stopped as soon as I started kind of focusing on different sports and then uh, going to a lot of minor league games, especially because I went to college in Appleton. And so I could go to the T-Rats games and sit in the scouts section quite a bit. Yeah, I uh, I quit after Little League, like early in Little League, too. Like this was very young because uh, I was no good and didn't really like have the concentration for it. So. Uh, but I did coach my brother's little league teams, my youngest brother, when I was in high school and college. I would come back for the summers and would uh, help coach those teams with my dad. And so I, I coached some little league and then one year in Babe Ruth and we were terrible and it didn't really work. They added a second team. Uh, there was only one in town and they added a second one and we were the team, the people to coach it and it it didn't go well and that was it so that was the last time i coached baseball well i i should say that i had the exact opposite phenomenon as paul because um into middle school probably i think seventh grade and so like i played a lot of traveling leagues and in, in you know fifth sixth and seventh grade and yep. then um was doing this and like i kept being like i don't i don't know why i'm not a better hitter and like, I kept being like, I don't know what's going on. And my coaches kept being like, your swing looks fine. Like, just keep trying. Like, just keep trying. Give it the old college try. And then I found out that I needed glasses like yep. really badly. Um, and I got glasses and I went to practice and, um, and I was like, and I told the coach, I was like, I can see the pitcher throw it. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> and he was like, yeah. Oh, 
oh um <laughs> for, and then uh first bat first guy i ended up uh stepping up i cracked a home run and i was like this is like cheating i was like this is the best <laughs> and uh it went downhill after that but i yeah. ended up hitting i ended up hitting like 430 that summer or something so you were like the that, hitting version because... of rick vaughn basically uh except worse yeah I remember the, like the first day I got LASIK um, well, it, after recovery and it actually kicked in. The, the big thing, uh, difference from glasses, and I was never a contact wear. I just can't do it. My eyes are too sensitive, um, is peripheral vision and being able to see the corners better. So um, I still remember the difference being so stark. And maybe my glasses just weren't good. My eyes were changing too fast. But I went to the batting cage, like first thing at, at Mike Egan's Grand Slam, and I just raked <laughs> at the fast pitch, like no problem at all, which was phenomenal so um it really matters it, it does kind of even like you get used to it and then it's not the advantage it was but yeah. uh it, it uh for a couple of days there it's great yeah that reminds, that reminds me of a fun little brewers anecdote from when Corey hart got lasik and i remember prince fielder teasing him because he came out and he was like oh i can see the slider now and prince fielder's like you never saw the dot like there's a dot well, I can never see the dot. <laughs> Corey Hart's performance against the slider would seem to back that up. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would be legit. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> no, we ended up. Uh, it was like one of those summers, and because like one of the other big things that ended up happening that same summer is when we were playing. I ended up um, getting robbed in center field by a dude who ended up like climbing the fence and robbing the same guy, same game getting robbed twice in center field. And uh, I remember being like all upset about it the second time. And I ended up like saying something to my coach and he just shrugged. And he went, get stronger kid. And then All right. Well, uh, thank you JP for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, overcast, pocket cast, or anywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please uh, leave us a review and help other people find the podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. And you can oh, help man. support. You're not you're not changing that read, huh? Not going in and putting new stuff in there. Steve's going to be so disappointed in you. <laughs> well, so this is James's read, and I just it is flat out don't like do, I don't want to don't throw it on other people. <laughs> you're in charge of this. I still didn't even you didn't even change the top of the thing. It still says episode one thirty three, and then James is leading it. I, yeah, I missed a few small details, but I went through it like a pro. If you hadn't said that, they wouldn't have known. Wait, wait, just literally peel back why the I said it. I'm good with it because um, Ryan's familiar with that. He didn't make any mistakes doing it. His read was flawless, and uh, you know, uh, if you if you got, got something you're good at, just roll with that. And I'm good. I'm fine with it. I think we should use that lead in. 
even like five years from now when the brewery name has changed and things like that, as long as Ryan does it properly. I'm, I'm just happy that they haven't reached out to us to do a carbon four cares about the community or read yet. Like during these difficult times, we know that normal is right around the corner. So uh, I'm happy that we haven't been reached out to for that yet. Those ads are, yeah, they've really, really gotten under my skin. Something I definitely awful. didn't just have to help write one. Oh, <laughs> all right uh, you can help support our podcast network on patreon.com uh, oh you're not done yet slash oh, mke Sorry, tailgate <laughs> i'm gonna go back and restart that seven seven forty five all right restart <laughs> I'm going to interrupt you again as soon as you start, my man. <laughs> well, how, did, how is this happening with Jim? And last week with Steve, it was totally fine. <laughs> uh, it was in the morning with Steve. And now that we're all in the afternoon, we're all riled up. Oh, crazy. Uh, all right. If there's no interruptions. <laughs>